Hello, Westside Family Church. It is so great to see you here at Lenexa Speedway. Those of you watching online, love having, let's give it up for our students, huh? Yeah, come on, you gotta love that. I have wanted, just off to the side, I've wanted this for 34 years uh, to have students uh, intermixed in the service with us because uh, what happens to most students when they leave your home, they also leave their faith. But these students aren't gonna do that, are you? Is that right? They're not gonna do that. And one of the big reasons why uh, they're not going to is that they are integrated into this church. They're not only sitting on the front row, uh, but they are running all the cameras today. They are leading, they are, put, they are leaning in. And the reason we haven't been able to do this is because the parents of the other churches I was at uh, wanted them to have their own little special gathering on Sunday. Wrong idea, man. They come up here on Wednesday night and have their own gathering. But uh, we consider the students uh, a part of this church, don't you? Yeah, and I just love having you guys here. Let's give it up for the students one more time. All right. Okay. So we have been journeying through the New Testament book of Acts that tells the true story of the birth of the church and its rise. And we're going through this book during our unshakable initiative because we believe that what God did in the first century, he wants to do again in the 21st century. So in this six-week series, we started with week one, looking at Acts chapter one, and this unshakable mission. These first followers of Jesus received a mission from the lips of Jesus himself, Acts chapter one and verse eight, that they were simply to be a witness of his resurrection, that they were simply to start with Jerusalem and then spread to the ends of the earth, making sure that they simply told other people that they have seen Jesus and that they have a relationship with him so that they might be able to extend that opportunity to other people around the world. And this is, in fact, what they did, and this has been extended to us. This unshakable mission is our mission, that we simply live our lives to be a witness that we have seen Jesus and that he has come into a relationship with us and we'd like to be a witness to how it has transformed our life. That is our unshakable mission. Then we turn the page to Acts chapter two and we learned of the secret sauce of these super ordinary, unschooled followers of Jesus. How did they overtake the world like this starting with the fact they had virtually nothing. Most of them couldn't even read. Well, the secret sauce is what we're calling unshakable community through the Holy Spirit. And we noted that in Acts chapter two that they had two types of gathering. One, they would all gather together uh, in what's called Solomon's Colonnades, which is the outer part of the temple uh, around these columns. It would be kind of like meeting in the public mall of our day, but with a serious religious vibe going on. And they would meet in a large gathering, 3,120 of them to begin with, continues to grow. But then they had a second type of gathering, which was a more intimate gathering where they got to know each other and to be in each other's lives. And we learned that in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And we want to do the same thing, have unshakable community. Gathering on Sunday like this 
It's awesome to engage in worship, to open up God's word, to realize that you're a part of something bigger than yourself. As we gather today at Westside, there's an estimated 2.4 billion people around the world doing exactly the same thing. We're a part of something exciting, but we also want everybody to be in that second, smaller gathering. That's why we call them A2 or Acts 2 Communities. Uh, so that uh, you are known and that you are loved and you have the opportunity to go on mission with a few people. And so we uh, declared a vision last Sunday that we want to take and identify and draw a circle around every elementary school surrounding our Lenexa and Speedway campus. And we want to establish an area community with an area shepherd and invite you in your area to join that little bit larger area community. And then inside of that, there are all of these Acts 2 small groups and you are living on mission together. And if we do that, we will cover all the geography just like they did in the first century church. That's our unshakable community. Now today, we're gonna open up the scriptures to Acts chapter four. And uh, if you brought your unshakable guide, raise your hand. Raise it up above. I'm going to take attendance right now. There we go. That's a pretty good, a pretty good showing. Awesome. Turn to page 27. You can take some notes there. You can also open up the Westside Family Church app to gathering notes. There'll be scriptures and, uh, and, and an outline for you to follow. Now, before we dive into chapter 4, I want to go back to chapter 3 where Peter and John, two of the main guys in the leadership of the early church... They have just healed a man who had been lame all of his life. They healed him, okay? And so we're told in the story that this guy's healed. He's never walked in his entire life, and he's now jumping up and down and praising God. Wouldn't you? Right? And this gets the attention of everybody in the city, and everybody is noticing. And then we are told that um, the people in uh, the, the Jewish leaders uh, that were there uh, were not happy about it because uh, Peter tells them, hey, we didn't do this. Jesus did it. So they're pointing to Jesus. They're giving witness to Jesus. Oh, and by the way, religious leaders, you are the ones who just killed this guy who did this to this lame man who turns out to be the author of life. But guess what? He didn't stay dead. He's been raised from the dead, and we witnessed it with our own eyes. Well, the Jewish religious leaders did not like being called out like this, and so it says that they were greatly disturbed and took Peter and John and threw them into jail. Now, the next day, they asked them this question, by what power... Or what name did you do this? Speaking of the healing of the lame man. And here is Peter's response in chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel... It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. 
Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. So he's poking the bear again, you know. He keeps reminding them, yep, Jesus is the one who did him. You crucified him, but he rose from the dead. It's just getting him angrier and angrier. But I also want you to know that while they came upon this man who was lame and met him at his point of pain and he experienced a physical healing, they are most interested in his spiritual healing and his salvation. Now, I love the response of the religious leaders to Peter's response to them. Chapter 4, verse 13 When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I want you to hold on to that thought. Now, they release Peter and John and before they let them go, they warned them never ever speak to anyone about the name of Jesus again. Now keep in mind, these are the same dudes that just a few days earlier crucified Jesus. They have it within them to do it again. So if you're being told by these guys who just crucified your leader, you better stop talking about him or else, what would you do? What would you do? Well, here is Peter's response. Verses 19 and 20. What, uh, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I want you to hold that thought as well. We'll come back to it later. And so they let him go. They did no commitment to not speak in the name of Jesus again. Do what you want to us we're speaking in the name of Jesus. So Peter and John go back to the church and they report all that had happened to them and the church offered to pray for Peter and John. And this was their prayer in verse 29. They prayed, enable your servants to speak your word with great, say the word, boldness. The church prayed that Peter and John would be enabled by God to continue to speak out with great boldness, unshakable boldness, even though they had just been challenged to stop it or else. After they had finished praying, this is what happened in the church room. There were no buildings, so this is somebody's house. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they gathered together was shaken. <laughs> I love that. And they were filled, all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with, say it with me, with boldness. I want you to notice once again that it's God that is doing the shaking. Now, I want to stop for just a moment and say that as one of your pastors uh, I need to be bold. I need to be bold in a big way like never before. And I want you to know that your encouragement and your prayers for me have given me the 
Well, the motivation and the confidence that I can be bold. I want you to know the boldness does not come from me. I have a personality of agreeableness. I have a personality that likes to please people. I like to be liked. As a general rule, I don't like conflict. I'm just horribly gifted uh, to do anything other than this job, right? Uh, But you give me the courage and your prayers have helped me. When I started pastoring back in 1989, back when the Dead Sea was just sick, yes. Um, uh, it really wasn't that difficult. Uh, it really wasn't that difficult. We've shown you this drawing before, but you take a, a circle of the culture and the circle of the church, and they were so overlapped together. I never found myself in much conflict uh, with the culture, and so therefore, there really wasn't much challenge. But over the last 30-some years, I've noticed that this has happened and uh, that there's just very, very little overlap. And now I have discovered, and I speak to you the truth, this is where we are at right now. The culture and what they believe to be their truth and the church could not be further apart. And that is a recipe for a tremendous amount of conflict. And I believe, and I have seen, persecution is coming. And I'll describe the nature of the persecution because it's a little bit different and you may not be noticing it. And, but I do want you to know that in some cases, the church deserves it. The church deserves it. And one particular thing that we need to make sure we get straight, uh, we're going to, I'm going to talk about, okay, uh, with boldness, okay? But I want you to know, before I do that, that um, uh, a couple of uh, months ago at one of our gatherings for Unshakable, I was sharing this need for me to be bold and how I needed your prayers and help and that when I look on your faces and you give me encouragement, then it causes me to step it up, right? And so we came up with a uh, code word that whenever I use the code word, uh, you would signal that you had my back by raising your hand like this, okay? So now I would love to extend the code word to the entire congregation. Speedway, those of you watching online, whenever I say aardvark, <laughs> yeah, you extend your hand. So, okay, let's try it. Right? Before I say anything bold here, let's do it, Already, Aardvark. See, I feel encouraged to tell you something that uh, you got to listen carefully, otherwise you're not going to like it, and then you're not going to like me, and then I'm going to go cry in the backstage here, right? <laughs> we, when we subjugate our allegiance to Jesus under a political party, whether that is Republican or Democrat, we do a grand disservice to Jesus, Now, in saying that, I want you to know that I love being an American citizen. I love it. And I am fully, fully engaged at the city level, at the state level, at the national level of this amazing country. And I am fully aware that in the Roman Empire, where the first church got started, they had no voice whatsoever. They had to do everything without any voice. But I live in a country that gives me a voice, and I will speak my voice as an American citizen. I really will. As a matter of fact, I am going to vote on November the 8th. And I'm going to bring my Christian worldview as uncovered from the scriptures into that voting booth because the scripture calls all followers of Jesus to be good citizens of the place in which they live, whether they have a voice or not. 
I'm super excited about that, and I encourage you to do so. Follow me on Instagram. Roseanne and I always post on our forehead our I Voted sticker, and I will do it again, and we never do it before. We always do it on the day. Yeah, so we're November the, November the 8th, okay? Now, here's the deal. and This is really important for you to hear this. My faith in Jesus is above my policies and my political ideas. And it's my faith in Jesus and my devotion to the word of God that drives how I interact with this. It is not the other way around. And that has secretly got some of you absolutely captured. And you've got to stop that. You've got to stop listening to more news than you do taking in the word of God. Okay? Aardvark. Now, let me take a moment to talk about uh, persecution and the conflict within our culture. Uh, as I said, as a Christian, I knew that Jesus said in the word that Christians would be persecuted. But from 1989 as a pastor up until just a few years ago, I just didn't feel that at all. And I thought, well, this is just a little hiatus from that. And uh, that's maybe for other Times and that if persecution would to emerge, uh, that it would come in the form of a physical assault like it did in previous seasons, including the first centuries of the church, in the form of imprisonment, torture, thrown to the lions in the Colosseum, crucifixion, and beheading, a physical attack. But this particular persecution is coming in a much sneakier way. It's not so much at this moment in time a physical assault as it is an assault on the truth. An assault on the truth. Up is down, black is white, absurd is in, rights over responsibility, only some lives matter, divorcing of society, canceling, shunning. And we would be super wise to dial in on the slow boiling in our country of truth that has left us and most assuredly our children and probably our students a bit confused about what do we do? How do we live in a place where up is down when the scripture tells us that down is not up, but down is down and up is up? What do we do? We have to get dialed in. And the persecution coming our way is an assault on the truth. And there is an invitation for us to move away from the truth, to acquiesce to the culture so that we can be seen as tolerant people. Followers of Jesus should absolutely have a tolerant mindset, but not in such a way that you abandon truth. Aardvark. Okay, good. Now, Acts chapter 4, it's really important to notice that it wasn't just Peter and John who were filled with the Spirit that day at the church gathering, but everybody in the assembly was filled with the Spirit, and they activated on that with boldness themselves. And this is what we read in verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the 
money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. This is the result, the bold, unshakable boldness of the believers, not just the preachers and the pastors or the Peters and the John. And I want you to notice mindset number one, they were one in heart and mind. They were unified. One of the key values of Westside Family Church is unity, that we're better together. We're one heart and one mind moving in the same direction. Mindset number two, I want you to notice this, that no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own that it all belongs to God, and it's up to him how he wants to use it. This is a major shift. Probably some of you have not made, because you're at the beginnings of the journey, but you're being invited by the word of God. When Jesus gave you eternal life, you gave him back everything that he first gave to you to begin with. And a shift is, you don't own anything, not even the very breath you take. You don't own any of it. It all belongs to him to be used to his will. This is a mindset that you must have to live out unshakable boldness. And you must make that decision as a follower of Jesus. It's one of our key, um, key uh, values. It's called generosity, tagline, God is generous, and so are we. Now, with those two mindsets, this is the outcome. This is the outcome. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that, uh, it, it so, so powerfully at work in them that there was no needy persons among them. Can you imagine that kind of unshakable faith? And what if that could be said in our community today? That we are so bold in our faith, so committed to this mindset that there were no needy persons among us. Among us. And so here's the deal. This kind of unshakable boldness doesn't just apply to people like me, even though I appreciate your prayers and your encouragement for me to be bold, I bring it back to you and encourage you to be bold in your faith. And I believe that you're doing that. And I believe it's one of the reasons God has looked at our 46-year history as a church and said, I am going to call out Westside Family Church to be one of the first churches in the country that focuses all of their energy on unshakable love because they have a history of doing so. Not just the preacher, but the people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Take a look at this story. Definitely become more open to just God's, his leading. And part of Part of obedience is like, I, I, I got to, I don't like all the times when God tells me to do stuff, but I know he has, every time I've tried to do my, my own plan, it hasn't worked out very well. Uh, stress, whatever, bad decision. And so I think we've just grown a little bit, you know, over the years as we get older. And, um, and just, just know that he knows, I mean, he knows what's better for us and, and I don't. And so we just, we've gotten better with it. We're always the hands and feet, right? We're always looking for opportunities to to serve him um, with those around us. I'm scrolling Facebook and I see a post that I had seen the day before, but I didn't really feel prompted to answer it that day. But I thought, you know, I'm seeing this again. I'm just gonna check on this woman because it had said like, um, I'm in a domestic violence situation. I'm in a hotel in KCK. Um, I need toiletries or I can't remember. It was like, I need food and toiletries or something like that. And I was like, I'm just gonna check on her. So I did, I sent her a message and she responded right away and just said like, 
I'm so hungry. People have said they're bringing things. And I, you know, so I immediately thought, well, isn't this the big C? I mean, isn't this what we're called to do to say yes to opportunities like this? You know, I called up my friend and I said, um, we have an opportunity to go help a woman. Will you go with me? Because it was in a hotel. And she said, yeah, absolutely. So we jumped, we jumped in the car, we grabbed some snacks and um, we arrive and sure enough, she's in a very bad situation. So um, over the next few weeks, you know, I was able to uh, gather some other West Side people. Um, we gathered funds, we gathered food, we gathered um, clothing and just really rallied around this woman who was pregnant at the time. She stayed in the hotel for two weeks and then I finally said, okay, she needs to come stay with us until, and she needs to get some fresh air because she wouldn't leave the room either. She was scared. She was very scared. So anyway, that has been um, a real learning experience for us and for I think both of us is that learning to say yes to a very scary situation, um, it could have turned out completely bad. It just was so, mm, I'm gonna get, <laughs> it was so overwhelming. It was so, just by saying yes to uh, being the hands and feet turned into so much more. She's now relocated in, I can't say where <laughs> actually, uh, but she's relocated and we were able to connect her with another church in another state. They have rallied around her even more. I just talked to her yesterday and she's doing so good. Like so good, good so excited. Um, she got a job and it couldn't have worked out any more perfectly. Now I know it's gonna be super messy going forward. Like it was super messy because we invited this person into our home. What's, what's awesome is she got baptized too. She did, because she was like, oh, I just really wanna get into church and- But they wanted to do it that night. Yeah. I said, well, yeah. I said, well, why don't we call some of your girl, you know, ladies in your small group, and you know, let's let's yeah. let's let's like plan it, like you know, tomorrow. And so that's what ended up happening. Everybody came out, and yeah. it was pretty cool. She it got was... flowers. She goes, I've never been given flowers. I could, I was just like, tears just flowed. Yeah. I mean, it was just so incredible. Um, and she's just really been relying on God this whole, you know, her whole journey, because it's a long story, but. So, um, God's just really been showing up um, in such a big way, but I think the thing that we learned is that we just have to say yes. We have to say yes. So, in the First century, the person in pain was lame. And the church, through Peter and John, came alongside of this man and met him at his point of pain, and he experienced healing. And then he began to praise God. In the story in the 21st century, it's not Peter and John, it's followers of Jesus who are part of a congregation called Westside Family Church who come alongside a person who's lame. But in this case, that lameness is described as abused by a man and alone and scared. And the church of Jesus Christ 
came alongside of her and met her at a point of pain. And she's experienced healing and redemption. And as a result, she's now praising God, got baptized. Repeat that story a million times. And love wins every single time. Jesus wins. And church, I cannot describe this unshakable initiative any better than that. You and I engaging and meeting people at their point of pain, repeating it, and knowing that ultimately it's going to lead them to Jesus. Amen? So um, at this point, the church is uh, in, in Acts is uh, 5,000. They've grown, which happens to be, by the way, the size of Westside. We have about 15,000 of people that call Westside home, but on a given Sunday, you know, somewhere around uh, 5,000 people show up. So we have the same sort of energy and strength, and we only represent one church in Kansas City. You know, we partner with 400, so we've got the people. But what we need is the same attitude. And I want you to write down some things. If we're going to replicate this in the 21st century, here's what we need to put in place. That we have been with Jesus. That's number one. That we have been with Jesus. And just, just a reminder that um, this whole thing is not about religiousness. It's not about burning candles and wearing robes and smelling religious. It's about an actual personal relationship with God. It's not about knowing about him. It's actually being in a relationship with him. And, and many of you have experienced that difference, and it's just radically changed your life. And we come together, whether it's in the larger gatherings or the smaller gatherings, to encourage each other day by day to become more like Jesus so that maybe tomorrow, maybe Tuesday, maybe Saturday, wherever you may be, someone does a double take and says, something's different about you. What do you mean? You're, you're looking a little bit more like Jesus every day. That's the goal. It's our number one value at Westside. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. Say that with me. Jesus, it's all about Jesus. The second thing that must be in place is this. We must be committed to what is right in God's eyes, just like they did. We have to submit our lives to God's word even when we don't understand it, even when we don't like it, and even when the culture hates it. You hear me? I, I lie not to you every single morning, every single morning, uh, I pray and I submit my life to the word of God. I say, God, I believe the Bible is your word that has the right to command my belief and my action. And I wanna recommend that to you, that every single morning of your life, every single day of your life, at some point in the day that you submit your life to the word of God. It's one of our values, God's word, we live and die by it. We're gonna be talking about that in January and I think this is possibly one of the biggest needs amongst Christians today as we are so polarized against our culture that we know what God's word says but we are committed to it to the very death. Are you there? That's what it's gonna take. Number three, we can't stop. Remember when Peter and John were asked to stop? He says, we can't help ourselves. We have to have the same attitude. There is no plan B. We're going after this. And no matter what the culture throws our way, even if they imprison me, you will come visit me, won't you? Aardvark. Yeah, you gotta come see me, right? That we're gonna say there's no plan B. 
And finally, our apologetic is our love driven by our generosity. Let me say that again. Our apologetic is our love driven by our generosity. The word apologetic doesn't mean I'm sorry. The word apologetic means my defense, my argument for why I live the way that I live. And here's the deal. Um, There used to be a time when you could sit down and have a conversation with people and might be able with your words to win them over to your point of view, to the word of God. But in America, nobody listens to anybody anymore. We don't even listen to each other anymore. You're not going to win a person to God by convincing them of your biblical argument. They're not even listening to you. I want to be known. I want you to be known as a person that can have a conversation with somebody who doesn't agree with you and that you could still be friends at the end of the day. I have some friends in Kansas City who are Muslim imams. Yeah, I do. And Jewish rabbis. We got together for lunch one time and we all said to each other, you know, I fundamentally think you are wrong and that you're going to hell. And the, the, the imam says, well, how about that? Well, I fundamentally think you're wrong. And the Jewish rabbi says, I think both of you are wrong. We utterly agree, disagree on the most important thing in life. But then after we said that to each other, you understand where I stand, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of the Chiefs game? What do you think about marriages struggling in Kansas City? And while we disagreed, we still became friends. I have a... a Uh, A number of years ago, when I was in Chicago, a guy, uh, an atheist, sold his soul on eBay. You can look this up, eBay atheist, okay? And and he decided, a guy that bought his soul, uh, $3,000, by the way, uh, asked him to go visit churches. Uh, And so he went and visited uh, the church where I was teaching. The room was filled, 7,200 people. It's crazy. And the next morning, he wrote, I didn't know he was there, he wrote a, a blog on being in the church. And I was teaching, of all things, where Jesus uh, interrupts a, a funeral and raises this widow's son from the dead. And he said, it was captivating. Of course, I don't believe any of it, but it was captivating. And I decided, well, he seems like a friendly guy, so I brought him back to the church on the stage to get his point of view, right? And to this day, I'm friends with an atheist, even though we fundamentally disagree with each other. You understand what I'm saying? So we're not going to win people over by our verbal arguments. We're going to win them over by meeting them at their point of pain and loving them. And when they experience that, just like the lame man in the story of Acts chapter 4 and this woman who was lame through being abused by her husband, she's going to experience healing. And then from that, they're going to want to know this God behind our actions. The other day, uh, I went and got a new pair of glasses, same ones that Braden has, by the way, same exact, same exact ones. If you'll follow me on Instagram, uh, I have to say he had his first. And I'm going to get my other ones back. Uh, they're getting uh, new lenses in them. But I wanted a pair that mine turn into sunglasses when you go outside. Your probably aren't that cool. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm cool. Right. It costs more money. And, uh, but when I was in the store... Um, I noticed that the, all the workers in the store had name tags on, and it was their name, and under their name was the pronoun they preferred to be referred to as. And I wanted to engage. <laughs> I wanted to engage because I got this one down, man. And I'm just going to tell you, 
that this gender dysphoria stuff is going down a very, very, very dark path that is leading to the other, utter, utter abandonment of truth and sanity, and it's gonna catch us, and it's gonna hurt us, and I wanted to engage in this argument as much as I possibly could, but when I looked on the face of the person with her name tag, I realized she wasn't so much into my argument is that she's coming from a, I could see it in her eyes. She's coming from a place of brokenness. And that if instead of me engaging her in an argument, I first tried to discover her story and discover this point of pain and brokenness, it might lead us to a better place. So my challenge to you is that you must be convinced, not of your truth, but of the absolute truth that exists in the word of God, and then you're not gonna budge. And when we gather together on a Sunday morning, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna disciple you in that. But when we leave this building, Start with love. And I believe, just like we saw in the first century, just like we're seeing again in the 21st century, this is how we will win the day. I love the way Nikki said it in the video. We've got to say yes. We've got to say yes. So, one of the things I want to invite you to, if you're part of Westside Family Church, uh, this Friday night is our advanced commitment night, an opportunity uh, for you to come and be the ones who step out first to make a commitment for us to have the resources to put in place to raise up the care center, to build our community, to mobilize ourselves for this initiative that God is calling us to. And uh, in your um, unshakable guide, there are commitment cards. The blue one is for students and the white one is for adults. And we're basically asking you to pray and to consider the total amount that you will give, you envision giving in 2023 and 2024 total. So it's not over and above your tithe. It's the total amount because every time you give a dollar to Westside, we distribute it. Remember at the Apostles' Feet, we distribute it. So everything you love about Westside, if you've given any money, you have been an investor in it. And so we're calling those who call Westside home to come to the Advanced Commitment Night. That's why this stage is here. It's going to be a very, very powerful experience. And you can RSVP at unshakable.church so that we know that you're coming. It's going to be a great night. I want to remind you as we wrap up that this unshakable boldness is not just for me but it is for you. And just as you are so faithful to encourage and pray for me, I want you to know that the pastor of this church are praying for you because you live in the place where the real hurt is at. Aardvark, I want to offer the same to you. So on the count of three, you say aardvark. Ready? One, two, three. I got your back. Let's be standing now. And let's worship together. God, we come to you now and we worship you with all of our heart. We are of one mind on all of this. We stand by your unshakable truth. We will live and die by it. Give us the courage and the boldness to love people at their point of pain so that we might see them seeing for the first time and witness for themselves the resurrected Jesus. And all of God's people said, Amen.